Welcome back to the Mediocre Movie Club podcast. I'm John Kissel. With me tonight is Drew Landry. Hey, that's me. Ashley Keller-McKee. Hey. And superfan Megan Gerard. Hello, hello. Taking a break uh, from our usual movie discussions to dive deep into this really pretty great season of House of the Dragon. Uh, again, uh, doing two episodes at a time, though we're going to save the last episode of the finale, which happens uh, this coming Sunday for a single episode, obviously. But for now, we're talking about episodes eight and nine of the first season of House of the Dragon. Uh, quick thoughts. Eight was fantastic. Nine left me with a little bit of disappointment and oddness and weirdness, but all okay. in all good. We'll get into it. Uh, Megan, what'd you think? I thought eight was absolutely incredible. Um, again, like one of the better episodes of any Game of Thrones um, season. And then nine was infuriating, but in like the best way possible. I think nine made me realize how much I actually care about this season and the characters in this season um, in a way that maybe I didn't feel in Game of Thrones as much. Actually, off the top of your uh, head, what'd you think? Loved eight, just like everyone else. And nine... I missed Rhaenyra. I miss seeing Rhaenyra in nine, but I still liked it. I'm I am really really invested in this show. I'm uh, like you said, Megan. The episode nine is certainly an outliers if we're comparing it to Game of Thrones seasons when like big stuff happens. Big stuff certainly happened in nine, not necessarily as dramatic as is as was often the case in Game of Thrones. But uh, I was really heart in my chest. Or heart in my hand? What's that saying? I don't know. Whatever. The point was, I was very <laughs> nervous about what was going to happen. And uh, I, I agree with the the missing Rhaenyra. That whole area of the world just being cut out of the episode uh, didn't make it any less interesting and thrilling and suspenseful. Uh, some stuff that we'll talk about as far as uh, hanging threads, that's kind of been the story of the season with all these time jumps and just so much stuff gets lost in the inter- in the intermediate periods that we're not seeing. But uh, I think the show is doing a good enough job to paper over all those cracks and uh, leave enough subtext and subtlety in the show to, to where you can figure out what's happening. Uh, we mentioned another time jump. We, we, we got our little kid actors for two episodes. They kicked the shit out of each other, which was delightful. But uh, no more of them. They're gone forever. And we're now into the young adult phase of the next generation of all these Targaryens, etc. In the six years between episodes seven and eight, uh, the war has kicked off again in the Stepstones. Although we we only hear about it, we don't actually see it. Rhaenyra and Daemon following their their bloody hepatitis type C wedding. Uh, they They have two boys now and she is pregnant again. Uh, at the moment, at the start of episode eight, and Aegon and Helena have um, very young twins as well. So uh, I'm not really following the opening credits as far as uh, adding new, you know, blood paths and new sigils that only exist within the opening credits. I'm sure they're changing them, and I haven't like s- sought anything like that out is has anybody been like paying super close attention to like the growing family tree in the in the credits no 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 i, I honestly okay. skip yeah, the, i skip the song every time you skip them really yeah sure do right through. okay oh that's shocking i watch it through every time the music yes. is still good 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I'm like, it's great. I, 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 skip I'm paying it. attention. <laughs> I honestly think I skip it every time because I'm just so excited to get to the actual show, which is a testament to how much I like the show, I guess. Yeah. Uh, getting into the meat of the episode, the main thing that brings every everybody together is uh, who's going to get Driftmark, the seat of House Valarian. Uh, we never see Corliss in this episode, but he's uh, off in the Stepstones fighting, and he's come down with a blood infection. It doesn't look good. Uh, and his brother, Vaymond, who who gave the awesome eulogy in Episode 7, and that was kind of the only time he had registered previous to that, he's pushing that he gets the claim over Luke, uh, Rhaenyra's obvious bastard son, second son. And all the interested parties convene in King's Landing to decide what happens. Uh, Rhaenyra and Damon also get word of this, and they are, go to King's Landing as well to fight for their son. And I like the little catty things that these extremely powerful people expect. Like, they expect all this pageantry everywhere they go. And when they are denied those things, it can be theoretically just as as uh, dramatic as, as, like, cutting out someone's eye from the previous episode. Like, if Damon wants to make a big deal out of it, he could do that. It's such an obvious, uh, like slight, and and this is this this like keeps coming up in this first season. We talked about like the dancing with uh, Rhaenyra and Lenor's wedding. Like if you fuck this up, everyone's gonna laugh at you. You're gonna lose all this face. The stakes on these small interactions and small rituals are are so extremely high, and it it just goes a long way. Towards like building out the world of the show and the culture and how high the stakes are at every second for these people. It's a small thing in the episode. I really appreciated it. It's good stuff. Matt Smith is just absolutely bodying this role. Like he's doing such a good job. Him sitting there in that chair in front of Allison with his legs crossed, you know, not standing up when she enters a room and then giving her hell for not you know, oh, you're glad we're here, but not glad enough to have actually greeted us. Um, it's great to just watch him in this role because he, it's a lot of like subtle acting or silent acting, just his his body movements and his facial expressions are so, so, so good. Yeah, this was absolutely a pinnacle episode for him. And we'll we'll definitely keep talking about him. But yeah, he's the one, like, R- Rhaenyra has been, for the last few episodes, has been, like, in a conciliatory... As, as much time has gone by, has really been in, like, a conciliatory. I need to, like, patch things up. I need to over-offer people stuff. Whereas Damon, yeah, just uh, couldn't be bothered. Like, if you guys watch the after-episode, like, break little little breakdowns, which, you know, are not fantastic because they're so short and abbreviated, but I, I do think they're better than, like, the Game of Thrones version. Uh, Matt Smith referred to Damon as a leaner, and then they edited a bunch of him, a bunch of shots of him leaning on various <laughs> doors and walls and just watching things happen. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that's a succinct description of who this guy is. Like he's taking stuff in and and there's so many things that he might comment on. You never know what it's actually going to be. And like here in this case, it's it's the decor has changed dramatically in an anti-Targaryen way, in a, in a more Westerosi way. And uh, some dude came out to greet the supposed you know future queen <laughs> yeah just fun little stuff i like the what if game just just for a second if damon didn't piss off his brother viserys i'm curious what it would look like if he was the heir 
I'm kind of curious as to, you know, would what kind of king Damon would be. I'm kind of uh, curious as to as to how bloody or aggressive he would be. I don't know. Just seeing him in this role kind of takes him away from that aggression. In, but it's also controlled aggression. You know, he does act out with with meaning. Like being a father, I think, has definitely like calmed him down over the years. Yeah. The, the series just kind of starts in media res where like we're told that he is a an, an unpredictable, bloody guy who couldn't mm-hmm. be trusted with real power. And all the show really gives us is uh, the the gold cloaks stuff and uh, his little his little, little tantrum he throws. In yeah. episode two, yeah, uh, when he like steals the dragon egg, so mm-hmm. I I and and last time Riley was on, he talked about how how Damon isn't the villain that we were that we were putting that we were putting him in like a villain box when he didn't really deserve it. Like the show was, yeah. and especially Otto was telling us that he was a villain, and yeah. without knowing that Otto is like this double dealer who's uh, extremely self interested, kind of just take his word for it, and Viserys backs him up. Like it's a legitimate choice, Damon or Rhaenyra, who's going to be the heir if you're Viserys. But once he has his next children, then there's no choice. Like if he wasn't, you know, trying to, you know, do the Westeros version of the Twentieth Amendment, whichever <laughs> amendment he gave. True, you probably know. Yeah. Uh, is it twenty? For it, no nineteen. For what do you mean? Like the women's suffrage. Oh, that's 19. Is it? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, that was my first thought. I should have gone with it. I just blew that $1,200 <laughs> Jeopardy question. You're going to um, edit that right out so no one knows that? Uh, we're talking about <laughs> it for too long. I'll probably leave it in. <laughs> Even if Viserys, you know, if that wasn't in his head, like, he can't not have Aegon be the heir over his brother. Like, his brother just immediately starts falling down the list. Mm, so, yeah. Like that. This is kind of the story of the season. Like they're rushing to this place yeah. where season two will start with like a firm sides being chosen and like actual armies are being marched and dragons are being armored, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. But there is it, it is a really rich world where we could have definitely seen a possibility where like Miss Harris and Damon are tight and then they start to fall away and that was yeah. just never that was never really the case in the show. And I think yeah. we kind of we missed that with him. He could have been, he's he's still a really great character, mm-hmm. but I I definitely do think that we're missing some stuff with him. Yeah, I you know Riley made a good point about that, and I think Damon is is more of an anti-hero than anything else, and uh, and so I think that's an interesting interesting thought for him to kind of call it at 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 the beginning that he could kind of see how. That he's not the person who we may have been painting him to be, and it turns out so far, you know, Riley's right. This was a little, a little masterstroke by the show. All a lot of Otto's planning has been done off camera, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. We see him and Allison with Vaymond, you know, plotting how it's all going to go. There for him, whatever they can do to undermine Rhaenyra is to their is to their betterment, and. We never saw. I, I don't. I don't know who any of these small council people are, except for the Lannister guy. But there's there's scenes that you know weren't filmed, where Otto is extracting their allegiance and giving something up. Maybe not. Maybe he's just straight up threatening them. Who knows? But when they sit down in the small council meeting, it, you can see like who's in and who's out, who has yep. heard about this already. 
who sees uh, this claim as like a way to further their own plots and their own power and who is just going about their business, you know, being the master of laws or whatever, uh, mm. without understanding that this other game is being played on top of on top of the small council. I really I really like that. And the show didn't linger on it. Just let it happen. And then, you know, like that develops in the ninth episode with with um, Beesberry. Like we see what happens to him. Yeah. But like just this little seed that's being planted in this episode that's like, you know, sealing his his fate. I really enjoyed that. The next scene in this thread is a Godswood interaction between Rhaenyra and Reyna and Rhaenys. Come that's on. too much. That's too Come much. On, like, it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't have. It, I mean, those the two girls have not differentiated themselves as characters yet. It is it the been... show's fault or is it George R. R. Martin's fault? Like all I, these I, names I, are too I, similar. Yeah. yeah. My understanding of like this period of the of the book, and it's not a thick book by any means. It's like several stories within this one book. But like we're on like page nine or ten. So I can't imagine that there's a lot of characterization for either of, of um Damon's daughters. But yeah, like Reyna versus Bela, the other one. Rhaenyra, Bela, and Rhaenys. I don't know. It just, just sounds a little better <laughs> to put all the reigns together in one scene. Yeah, it's confusing. No, That question. just feels like they were fucking with us on purpose at that point. <laughs> he named the twins Eric and Eric with two different letters. I mean, yeah, yeah, terrible. Terrible. We really need a way to differ. And, and they're twins. They can't just be brothers that look a little different. They have to be fucking twins. I think that it makes sense for the Targaryens. Because... Like the Aegon Aegon thing, right? Where Rhaenyra has an Aegon and Alicent has an Aegon. It makes sense to me because they are so obsessed with their family line and like their bloodline and all of that, that all of their names would be super similar. I don't know how you like the Eric and Eric thing is stupid, but I think that, Yeah. yeah, but I think that for the Targaryens, it does make some sense just because I could see them. I mean, like, isn't Reyna is named for Renice, I assume. Yes, who's named for one of Aegon's wives who mm-hmm. came right. with him. Right, mm-hmm. who is probably also who Rhaenyra is named after. Like, yes. it, that yeah. makes some sense to me. Um, you know, I think that there are other egregious naming <laughs> conventions that George R. R. Martin uses. Um, but yeah, it's annoying because half the time I'm talking about the show, I start talking about Rhaenys and I'm really talking about Rhaenyra and, you know, again, but I can kind of see the thought process there a little yeah. bit. It's difficult for, you know, podcasters like us who have all these fans <laughs> to satisfy with content and all these <laughs> advertising contracts to fulfill, uh, you know, yeah, it just, it just makes our jobs a little more difficult, but you know, that's what we've, that's the life that we've chosen. <laughs> <laughs> Why they pay us the zero dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one day. One day. <laughs> he said with no conviction. <laughs> In this scene, Rhaenyra is, is just making a naked play for Rhaenys's support. She wants to marry her sons to her granddaughters. And uh, Damon's, uh, again, we're not going to fuck with the family tree too terribly much here. Uh, because how could we? Uh, Rhaenys leaves it noncommittal. Not only does everybody think that Lanor is dead, but like they think that he was set up to die by Damon and Rhaenyra. So it might be, you know, a little difficult for Rhaenys to throw in with them. 
I think Rhaenyra does a really good job of like selling how that is not the case. Um, not that he's not dead, but that she wasn't responsible for it. And uh, Rhaenys, and we're certainly going to talk more about her in in the course of this podcast. But uh, she's just being consistent and uh, realizing how exactly how much power she has in any given situation, and and waiting to see how things go. The the last time that Drew and I were on together, we talked a lot about how Rhaenyra kind of acts like in the moment. She doesn't really plan ahead. And this felt like another example of that. It didn't mm-hmm. feel well thought out. It felt like in the moment she thought, oh, I can do this. This is my next chess move. It wasn't well thought out. Yeah. It just it felt yeah. like she's acting on impulse yet again. Yeah. Yeah. There's that line where like Rainus calls her on her desperation and Rhaenyra is like, mm-hmm. what difference does it make? Is it a good offer or is it not? And like, it is a good offer. Like it does right. make sense. But Allison seems to be thinking 10 steps ahead and Rhaenyra isn't. I don't think we give her enough credit, if I'm being honest, Rhaenyra, because regardless of whether or not she's actually thinking these things through, if Reyna is really worried about who's sitting on the, or sorry, Renice is really worried about who's sitting on the Driftwood throne, this makes sense. Like, okay, you, we are all skirting around this issue of who my children's fathers are, but you know that your granddaughters are of Valerian blood. So you want one of them to sit on the throne? Here we go. Like, here's a solution. I mean, it does seem a little bit like desperate, but they're not bad options for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that again is something the show has really excelled at in that there aren't terrible choices. Often there are, there are decent to mediocre choices. And nothing ever really comes through as like, oh, gosh, you should have done this and everything would have been okay. It's just never that simple. And uh, there's always, in, in just so many of these interactions, you do have to give something up because you're dealing with very powerful people on all ends. Yeah. And, and, and finding, it allows all characters to save face at all times. Uh, and speaking of saving face, uh, Viserys hasn't been doing a good yeah. job of that. <laughs> Uh, we see that in the intermediate period between episodes seven and eight, uh, he has lost a good chunk of his cheek. Well, we save the reveal for later in the episode, but like his face is very is, is heavily bandaged, and we get unclear, fuzzy shots of his back that seem to now have open holes in them. You can probably like see his organs pulsing if you took a close look. Uh, lost all his hair, heavily dosed with milk of the poppy. And it, like we were just previously saying, that is either because he is legitimately in pain and legitimately needs it, or because the Greens benefit from him being incapacitated and and loopy. Uh, both can be true. Uh, he's visited by a Rhaenyra and Damon. Uh, fantastic acting from Matt Smith on this one. He has no idea how to approach his brother. He's very uncomfortable with this whole situation he doesn't know what to say he doesn't make any small talk is just direct this is what we need from you i and and the personal is very difficult for him in this moment just because is this even a person like sitting in front of him great scene from him uh and rhaenyra is trying to like get through this drug fog to get him to uh stand up for her and stand up for her claim and bring some clarity to this impossible position that he's put her in. I don't remember who it was that was like, we can't abandon King's Landing. 
and let the greens uh, pour all their honey in his ear. I think was the is, was the phrasing, but you you really see here that that was a really like a, a bad choice on their part, and uh, things could have gone very differently than they went as this episode proceeds. It would have been these like Otto is very overconfident, as is Vaymond in this episode, and they have good reason to be. Like, everything seems to be totally in hand for them. Otto and Alicent are more advanced on the political scene than than everyone else. I mean, they, you know, they they do all the things that needed to be done before things happen, and they realize that something is about to happen, and so they are prepared for it. It's so interesting to me that even though whenever Otto and Alicent play their game— and it doesn't go out very well, they still keep to the game that they play, going back to the small council, and as we will see in episode nine, they still play the game of, I'm I'm working behind the scenes, no one knows what I'm doing yet, I'm planning everything, and you will see the fruits of, of the labor. That's, that's what I think about Otto's game. It's pretty good, and even though he got kicked out, and earlier in the season, dude's back. Viserys do, is the one with all the power, and everything else is just pageantry. And, like, he, it, there's no sense of people wouldn't obey him if he commanded something to happen. And, like, that's always the wild card in the Greens, uh, against the Greens' plans. Keep him sedated and in bed, yeah. and everything's going great. I even think Otto thought that he was easily manipulated too. I mean, we saw that earlier in the season where he was, you know, you know, pushing things on him to to do, and Viserys was not exactly against doing it. I mean, that and that's the scene we missed was the discussion between Alicent and Viserys of right. bringing Otto back. I think that's like a, a and like that's obviously going to be like a pivotal decision as the series moves forward, but it's over. We're never yep. going to revisit it. I think it's definitely something that was missed. This scene really does a good job of juxtaposing how, you know, the difference between watching somebody slowly die in front of you and watching somebody rapidly decline from a distance, right? Because Allison and Otto, you know, probably a little bit because of their own desire for political gain, seem to have less sympathy Towards Osiris in this episode, whereas even Damon, like you can tell he's really taken aback by his older brother, you know, the king and the condition that he's in. Um, and it, I think they did a really good job this episode of showing those interactions and the interactions that Rainier is having with him as being more of a daughter who is losing her father and a brother who's losing his brother, you know, from this disease and that being their focus as opposed to the next step being their focus, which mm-hmm. I think is a detriment to their political game. But it is also the reality of that situation is Rhaenyra and her father are obviously very close or else he wouldn't have named her his successor. And she's sitting here watching somebody, probably the person that she loves the most in the world, like rotting in front of her. The stance that Damon and Rhaenyra take towards Viserys because he's about to die is sympathetic enough to where it almost smooths this entire thing over. I mean, I don't think it was purposeful on Rhaenyra and Damon's part, 
but like they're visibly being moved by the state of him pretend like that's a that's like a personal reaction to a political problem mm-hmm. and it almost almost breaks through but we'll we'll come back to that i would say the centerpiece scene in episode eight but uh not quite because because there's a there's a better sequence somehow a little further on at least in my opinion uh the claim dispute for Driftmark is proceeding. It seems to be going according to plan in Veyman's favor. He is really hitting the strength of his blood and how powerful it comes through in uh, Valerian members, Valerian people. And uh, Viserys intervenes. He makes this a very long walk and accepts Damon's help up the stairs, rules in Luke's favor. Um, once Rhaenys, I think he was going to do it anyways, but Rhaenys sees this as uh, the decision point, and she jumps onto the winning side. Uh, I do think she would have stayed quiet if not for that, right? What do you guys think? Uh, uh, no, Megan? I think she was going to make a claim for herself. Oh, I like really she would have, like a third party. Yeah, I think she was going to make a claim for herself. And then, so this moment, when Rainus turns and says, you know, this this is great King. I completely agree with you. And Oh, by the way, um, my granddaughters are going to marry, um, Rhaenyra's sons. She became my favorite character in the show in that moment, because I was like, this is, this woman is so fucking smart. And it really kicks off that thought in your mind. That's like, yeah, she would have been a really good queen, you know, which adds another layer to that as well. Yeah. Um, but no, I think she was going to try to make her own claim because if Rhaenyra can sit on the Iron Throne, she should be able to sit on the Driftwood Throne. I it, it's it, I think it's obviously opportunism, but it's like on the fly, spontaneous, and therefore admirable. Like an admirable trait to be able to to pivot with the stakes so high, like at at a moment's notice. Because like nobody expected him to show up, Viserys to show up, and and she just is like the wheels are just turning while this is happening. Everything's focused on her or everything's focused on him. Whereas she is, how can I, pl- and like she's doing the calculus over like a minute or two and, and mm-hmm. coming to like the right, the right decision. Uh, Veyman is not a fan of this development. A great farewell scene from this actor. He really hits the bastards exclamation hard. Like as he calls Luke and Jace out. And he calls her near a whore and uh, Damon is like sneaking up behind him and having, and he, and he slices his head in two. Yeah. Uh, Some, a a nice mortal combat fatality for Veyman as he leaves the show. (laughs) Yeah, it was, but yeah, I, I want to add one thing. Rhaenyra really played like her, her desperation Trump card where, you know, she's where she pleaded with, with her father, I need you. But it's also the only card she has to play here, and it worked out. And I think it's, you know, it's as soon as he walked into the throne room, that was when Rainus changed her mind. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, just okay, this game's over. I'm going to go on the winning side now. Her and Veyman were having her being Rainus was, uh, and and Veyman were having their own problems at the beginning of the episode. So yeah, um, you know. I don't know where anyone thought she was going to be in the first place. She may have been the wild card the entire time, and she really played that role and be- became the deciding factor. 
uh, as good as that scene is. And again, this yeah. like a Patty Constantine uh, Emmy reel as well. Him and Matt Smith both. Uh, and those are a long ways away. Who knows? Uh, well, and I mean, Damon helping him up to the throne was incredible as well. Yeah. I think that really shows where that character is in episode eight versus where that character was in episode one and two. Mm -hmm. um, it's completely different. And probably one of my favorite Game of Thrones death sequences um, mm. with his tongue still in the bottom <laughs> half of his body and his head cut. I mean, it was just my mouth yeah. was from the time that Viserys walked into that room to the time dude lost his head my mouth was just open the whole like you know I mean I wasn't blinking I was just like so enthralled with the whole sequence because again I think that that's when you start to realize how high the stakes are yeah. you also had no idea where they were going with it like it felt like it could have gone a, a number of ways and I I couldn't even imagine that that was where it was going to go yeah I I had forgotten about Viserys uh it's totally plausible that uh Vayman gets the gets the claim, and uh, Rhaenyra has to defend it. And like this is as good a setting off moment as any. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like she would have she would have had to insist that it's it's hers, and 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 that's just how things that's just how things start. But uh, yeah, just the way it played out. And and Megan, like you mentioned in the last podcast episode, that like seven episode seven was the best episode of not only the season but of any game of thrones property uh and i said that what was keeping me at a distance from this show was like an emotional an emotional connection and that and, and like viserys entering the throne room solves that problem for me like i i absolutely felt a little twinge in in that moment and then another, and, then, and another one when damon helps him up the stairs as good as that scene is mm -hmm. the the Subsequent dinner scene is even better, based on how I was physically reacting to it. Uh, extremely stressed out. Uh, Viserys insists that while everybody is together and he is still alive and reasonably coherent, they should have a dinner. And he begs them all to be a family. He takes his mask off and we see that he is missing an eye and a cheek. And uh, he looks real bad. He looks Two-Face-esque from the Dark Knight. And you can like see mm -hmm. the tendons in his in his face moving as he's speaking do uh, we know really what's wrong with him still or no, no just no. he's just rotting that's yeah he's on his last legs and he asked them to be a family not as a king but as uh like the the patriarch of this family who would like to see all of his jesus granddaughter slash sister slash whatever <laughs> this whole this whole spider's web rat's nest of family ties uh get get along and uh, Rhaenyra makes the first no. Well, Alicent says grace and includes probably an insincere congratulations to Luke on and, and uh, the coming betrothals. And then Rhaenyra gives a toast that is very earnest towards Alicent as as uh, shepherding Viserys through this terrible time in his life. And and then Alicent is is moved by that gesture, which I think is legitimate, and so, and and hails Rhaenyra's coming queenship. And everything is wonderful. <laughs> uh, Aegon is a dick to Jace, but Jace doesn't react, and he toasts to his 
to his uncles, who we'll talk a little bit about in the next couple segments. Helena makes a very funny joke. The show uh, made me laugh, which was another bar that it had yet to hurdle. Uh, she <laughs> she just slags off on on Aegon in a way that uh, is correct and accurate, and no, and he is so correct and accurate that he doesn't react to that at all, really. <clears throat> and we even see Otto giving a little sarcastic golf clap to somebody like he's involved in this and everything is great and wonderful and and Jason Helena are dancing and then Viserys has to excuse himself uh wonderful that's a nice sweet little scene and nothing like it's stuff like this that has also been missing from this first season of the show like low stakes uh just hangout scenes that we would occasionally get in Game of Thrones when things were just on a slower tilt and things are on a very fast tilt in House of the Dragon. So we so these are these kind of scenes are the first thing to go, as like ephemeral as they are and how and 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 you know, not long lasting as they are. Uh but you need these kind of scenes to endear yourself to characters. And like Helena is uh like a fan favorite and now also one of my favorites, like this Daffy Queen who uh who apparently has prophecies and uh is so guileless that she's hilarious. And like this is the kind of scene that that fleshes out these characters in a way that does finally make me care if they live or die beyond just like a pure plot mechanics perspective. It was also just so relatable because I feel like everybody has had that like holiday or that, you know, big blowout with your family. And then somebody is like, we're all going to sit down and eat and enjoy each other. And, you know, I don't care if you want to rip each other's throats open, we're going to sit down and have this Thanksgiving dinner. And so I really liked that because I felt like it was like, okay, yeah, we've all kind of been there. It also added so much to the tension because you know what it's like to be sitting at that table where you hate every single person there, but you have to put on a good, you know, face in order to keep the patriarch or matriarch or whoever it is of the family happy. So yeah. I just thought it was, I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought the whole thing was great. And I was like holding my breath the entire time yeah. because you just know something terrible is going to happen. Um, but you're also getting these very human moments from each one of these characters um, throughout. So, yeah, it lasts as long as Viserys is present and uh, then a pig is brought in. And I paused it and left the room. <laughs> uh, that that really freaked me out. Um, what? The, Why? Because I don't know. I, I don't know when all these people, you know, meet their eventual fates. I don't know exactly when. I mean, it's it's happened now because of like uh, just the momentum of politics. But like, I didn't know. But prior to episode nine. When, like, the official split or schism happens, it's mm -hmm. just totally credible that some dumbass uh, waiter <laughs> sets a roast pig in front of Amond, who, again, put a pin in that guy, and Luke <laughs> can't help himself from <laughs> laughing about it. <laughs> it's totally plausible that he just murders him right then and there. there is yeah, it is. Amond instead, I mean, like this keeps happening in this show where 
like the honor culture nature of this period or this fantasy setting is really getting hammered home where you can very easily bait someone into attacking you and then you kill them in totally justifiable self-defense. We -hmm. saw that with like the Blackwoods and the Bracken, like that the the kid who killed uh, the the older guy in like um, an earlier episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jace and Luke are setting themselves up to be like Marty McFly, who are like, if you call him chicken, he's going to lose his shit (laughs) in in a completely predictable way, fly off the handle and do something stupid and reckless. And like, I really feel like this is how one or both of these kids die. If that is in fact what happens to them, uh, Eamon toasts to his quote unquote, strong nephews and provokes a fight and it's diffused. But it doesn't have to be diffused. These people are so unpredictable. They look insane in the case of Amond. <laughs> and uh, things in this moment are calmed down. And the mood isn't totally ruined. But I was just so ready for for it to go horribly, horribly wrong. And I was not disappointed by any means. It just I, just the the feeling of like tightness and heat on your neck. Like the show is provoking a physical response in me, and that's like a high, high praise, high praise. I do think here too we get to see a lot of like Amond and Damon interacting in a very interesting way that um, we otherwise wouldn't. But it is almost like Amond sees Damon as this somebody that he can look up to. Um, but they're on opposite sides of this mm-hmm. battle, right? Because it is, it's not until Damon steps in front of or in between the boys that this whole thing diffuses. And I think that's less because Eamon is scared of him and more because, well, it could also be that he just saw this same guy cut somebody's head off for saying that these two boys are bastards. But I think it's because he respects him, right? And that's the kind of thing, decapitating somebody with no notice is the type of thing that would get respect out of this. I mean, I don't know where they pulled this actor from, but he looks yeah, like a just, real and true psychopath. Like, let's go ahead and talk is, about him. I don't have the actor's name off the top of my, or like in front of me or on in, in my head. Um, but he 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 is perfectly cast. He, he looks he, older though than Aegon. That's my only thing. I, yeah, that's fair. Like the tall, him him being taller isn't so much, but like his face is is so like gaunt. It's hard to see him side by side with the other actor who played him as like younger kid. But, Lots of angles, like really hard yes, yes. angles in yes. his face. It looks like his lips are always pursed. Like he's like. Yeah. Like, yeah, a lot of mouth work happening. They, if they didn't cast him in for, like, birth order, they cast him for for just total unpredictability. He, he, just, he just looks out of his mind. He looks like there is a single one of him in the entire world. Nobody else looks like that. And the casting department was able to find him somehow. <laughs> and... And he's spending all this time with Kristen Cole. He's who is also a psychopath at this point. Yeah, a hundred percent. And not to mention, he's riding like the biggest dragon in in the realm. 
he makes an offhand mention of the ninth episode about how he's he's doing the reading and the studying. It's obvious to him that his brother is a piece of shit, and if anyone's going to be the king in this family, it should be him. And his, I feel like his body count is just going to fucking skyrocket. Have you looked at what this actor looks like not with the blonde hair? I have not. It is very much less alarming than like with the wig and like all this. Like he just looks like a normal person. I don't know. In that case, he is face acting the ever living shit out of this role because he's always got crazy eyes. Yes. I mean, he's seriously like he is the type of person that if I was walking down the street by myself and he was walking like towards me, I would turn around. Like okay, he's but I'm, so I just unsettling. sent a picture of him not with the wig on, and like you wouldn't like it doesn't. He just looks like any Southern frat boy. Um, I, he I looks British, but but he doesn't look like he doesn't look scary. He doesn't look like, like that. No, no, you're yeah. right. Um, he's lost a lot of face weight somehow. He definitely has. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, we talk all the time about good villains and bad villains, right? Like who's making a good villain in this? Because they're. There really isn't any heroes in this show, but there are, you know, varietals of villains. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. we have Kristen Cole as a bad villain, um, but you have Laris is a good one. I think this guy's the best villain. Just the way they are setting him up to be so unhinged, um, it's making me not necessarily root for him, but want him in more scenes. Like, I want him in the middle of all of this shit. Just to see how like he reacts to it. I feel like he's what we thought Damon was going to be, but isn't yes. now. Well, I mean, I kind of think in the ninth episode that the show is trying to soften him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, I, 100% am like going off of first impressions with this guy. And that might not be the way things go. Uh, like he might legit, I mean, we're going to see how Aegon does as like Green King. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I so, can yeah, imagine why wonder, you think that. Com- I mean, like completely manipulable, like devoted to his own appetites, whatever those happen to be, and uh, just like no will of his own, really. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. this so, guy, this guy has will to spare. This this actor was also in High Life, which I know is a favorite of yours. Sure. Yeah. The fuck room. Yeah. Yeah. What? High Life. It's a Claire Denis movie starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, I would recommend highly against it, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild sci-fi space movie. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I don't. They had me at space movie. movie. But... They lost me at possible strange incest. What? Well, I mean, they all incest like is not great, but now. yeah. Hmm. Anyways, uh, episode eight ends with Allison seeing Viserys to bed. Uh, in his uh, debilitated state, he thinks she's Rhaenyra and uh, just makes non-specific mention of the prophecy, which, you know, Aegon is a part of it, but not the Aegon that Allison is thinking of. And what she hears is that Aegon should be king, and then Viserys dies thinking of his first wife. So my understanding of the book is that just these this is all prologue, and... The book is not specific about um, what is driving Alicent or Rhaenyra beyond the obvious. Like, I would like to be the power behind the throne or on the throne itself. Mm-hmm. And 
like this this like real shakespearean push of of prophecy of destiny they're both hearing what they want to hear and now they have this secondary impulse uh i mean a, a totally moot point like if allison wins and the prophecy dies uh and doesn't move forward and of course we also see in game of thrones it didn't, it didn't make any difference anyways <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> but like the the inclusion of this has seems to be building to this moment who like he's gonna die the next day and we can talk yeah. about like an oversight that the show makes with Rhaenyra. Like for all intents and purposes, I sure thought they were in King's Landing at the start of episode nine. Apparently not the case. Was I alone in that? Me too. I was so confused. No, I was I gotta be honest with you guys. I spent episode nine confused as fuck. Like I mean we can talk about it next, but um mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I was screaming at the TV at the end of episode eight because the second he started talking about the prince that was promised, I saw exactly what was going to happen. I was like, this mm -hmm. fucking, like, wound-infested, ancient idiot is about to fuck <laughs> up. You know, I mean, but seriously, like, this is a world in which this man took too much opium, right? Like, he was on, he was basically, like, doing a version of heroin and took too much. And now how many like millions of civilians are going to die because his bitch of a wife, you know, heard what she wanted to hear. I was just screaming because I was like, this is it. Not that they wouldn't have tried to go for it anyway, but now she as, again, we're talking about these like morality politics playing a role in this season or in this, this show a lot more than Game of Thrones. She now has something that she can say, all right, I can sleep at night now because he told me he wanted Aegon to be king right before he died and of yeah. course he would and of course that would be a deathbed wish and so now not only is what i want gonna happen but it's the right thing to happen and but also how shitty of a queen are you when you know your son is a piece of shit and you put him on the throne anyways because yeah. it's what is you know historically supposed to happen i mean yeah that's been like a recurring question for the show is why does anybody want what they're doing with Rhaenyra, pre-children, it was this prophecy, and now that they both have children, it's it's the stuff that comes up in episode nine and came up earlier as well. Like, whoever wins to secure their power has to kill the other family completely, and uh, they've kind of both been operating on that. Yeah. And uh, the reconciliation at the dinner... Who knows how long that would have lasted? If it was, it sure seemed legitimate. I completely bought it, based on on the acting and how the characters reacted. But it, it's the previous day, after before episode nine, Otto I think obviously would have gone forward no matter what, with or without this like deathbed, mm -hmm. supposed confession or change of will. I think it makes Allison feel better, but I don't necessarily think that it changes anything. Like she wouldn't have been in the small council meeting in episode nine and been like, if, if Viserys had just died without saying anything, she wouldn't have been like, uh, I don't like this. We're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that. I do kind of think more time needed to, a little bit of all the episodes that don't have a gap between them, like day one, episode eight and day two, episode nine, they're stressing like the tragedy of these missed opportunities 
and these like misinterpretations that are going to lead to these terrible, terrible things. Um, but I think if we really like sat and th- thought about them, it's kind of just like the show being a little manipulative. Yeah. Like this moment with Viserys, I don't think really changes anything. I think it kind of softens Alicent to some extent, mm-hmm. but uh, a little cheap, perhaps. Because again, like this prophecy, we know nothing comes of it. Yeah, that's true. Well, and I think in episode nine, it shows that whether or not Alicent was aware, which I think she had to have been a, at least a little bit aware, regardless of what she was wanted or thought, Otto was going to try to use yes. it for Nera, regardless. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. This this confusion and this, you know, Aegon, Aegon, Aegon thing um, doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things and the picture of things the like zoomed out version but mm-hmm. on the zoomed in version you know where it's just these interpersonal relationships and dynamics um i think it probably does matter a lot to allison and i think it for allison i think it gives her like a bit of a warm and fuzzy feeling right at the end of his life to view her and her children as his legitimate family rather than just his second family because mm-hmm. he's obviously he I mean it's it's and Aegon talks about this in episode nine like it's very obvious that he does not like Allison's children or he doesn't at the very least he's apathetic towards them compared yeah. to how he feels about Rhaenyra that's why um, I, I was sitting on that where it like people believe Allison because it's in her it's in their interest to they don't have a choice it's in their interest to believe her or they don't have a choice for someone like Aegon, who it doesn't really matter what he thinks, like this is going to happen unless he like is able to run away and we see that he's not able to do that. Uh, he understands this to be complete bullshit, whether it happened or not. Like, oh, oh, there was a deathbed confession, a deathbed uh, turning, uh, and you were the only person to witness it, and it just happens to be exactly what you want? Sure, sure. <laughs> so like he doesn't even believe her when she says as much. And I think that that will likely continue. Like this is not a legitimate transfer of power, Mm. except that uh, legitimate transfers of power don't mean anything. Like it's all just swords and who can get there first. The book is like being read by a maester. There isn't, I mean, you're kind of right whenever they say there's not like a lot of like intent because it's a guy reading a story. You're, you're reading a story from someone reading a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like the guy so, doesn't pretend to have been in the room when these people were talking. Right. And so it's it's a lot of um, you know, uh like people around writing down what has been said and all this sort of stuff and you know, you're reading from the official records and it makes for an interesting story it does, but but yeah, that's 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 what the book is 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 talking about the you know well as we know the Targaryen family but you know it I I I didn't I, I is is the time period between eight and nine one day because it didn't seem like that to 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 me it seemed like it was like a month or two months or something a week a week a, a maybe. week it a week. could not have been a day it couldn't have been a day you yeah. don't think like Viserys is getting laid down after leaving the dinner. In that final scene of episode eight? I mean, I think that 
it's very obvious that they kept his death a secret for a while. Um, so I think that they, I don't have a problem believing that, you know, he dies maybe after the dinner and then they find finds out in the morning in the morning. And then Allison's like, we'll get, you know, cause Rhaenyra was already planning on putting her family on a ship to Dragonstone and then flying back on Dragonback, right? Yeah. Yep. Did she mm-hmm. say that or did she say, I'll put the children to bed? It doesn't really make any difference. She's not She's not around for episode nine. I'll take them home and then return on Dragonback is what she says. Okay. So I think that... Say that we should talk later. I interpreted like Alicent and Rhaenyra saying, we'll talk later to be like, let me put the children to sleep and then great, we'll talk. But maybe, maybe, yeah, I, maybe I misinterpreted that. I, I mean, as we said earlier, I 100% expected uh, them to be held hostage and, and make a daring escape somehow. That's what I thought this episode was going to be. Like all mm. the green machinations to consolidate power and Rhaenyra realizing that her life is in extreme danger and contriving a way to get away. And maybe they lose a kid somewhere in the, in the, in the, in the meantime. Shuffle, Yeah. No, I think that they just waited long enough to announce his death or to talk about his death, or it took long enough to kind of get everyone on the same page about his death that Rhaenyra and Damon could have believably been on a boat at that point. Mm-hmm. Because no. I can also see them like wanting to get out of there because of the hostility between the kids and like mm-hmm. really wanting to like hurry up and get those kids back to Dragonstone. Yeah. Yeah, and like episode nine is all about the urgency of the moment. We have to get this done as soon as possible. So it it does seem like a very little amount of time is passing over the course of that. Ep- but it could be, yeah, it could be a few days. Mm-hmm. That's totally plausible. I think yeah. it's definitely at least two days because uh, I think I do I do think Rainus goes to sleep at some point. Uh, before we get into the meat of episode nine, let's just catch up with Aegon, uh, now King Aegon the uh, Second, whatever his you know his honorific might end up being. Uh, all he really does in episode eight, besides like trying to bait his nephew into a duel, is uh, he attacks a housemaid while he's uh, sleeping one off. And word gets to Alicent, who goes through a very succession esque meeting with the maid, where she is extending sympathy. Uh, I totally believe you. And at the same time, the other side, out of the other side of her mouth, she's threatening her with. Uh, having to leave the castle, being exposed as uh, uh, as a whore who took advantage of the king, and the and the meeting ends with a sack of gold and some moon tea. This seems like the kind of thing that happens all the time. Like uh, Ashley, I think you mentioned like all this is for this kid. This I don't know how old he is. He's supposed to be like early twenties, probably. I think twenty. They said. Yeah, you're you're doing all of this to make to give this guy supreme power. So congratulations on your big win. It feels like deep down she knows Rhaenyra is the better choice, but because of, like you said, the pageantry, she's just going through with it because it's what her father wants. It's what he's conditioned her to want for so long, and it's her blood. So she just is going to go through with it at any, any cost, Yeah. even though she knows what a monster he is. Yeah. And I mean, the, she even says at one point, like, you're no son of mine. Yeah. And then she he puts him her, on the throne. He asks her, do you 
love me and she calls him an imbecile <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, to say like what was that scene was she saying like obviously i love you or like or you're i, I didn't i don't know that was I, it meant I, to go both ways as, i read that as this is what you're thinking about right now at this moment okay i read it as like her being like i don't know maybe i took it too literally as a mother like as her being a mother saying like obviously i love you i'm your mom but you can't be a person in this kind of government you're you're a seat of real political power like you and and that's the challenge with all these shows is like this this is an individual with their own wants and their own needs but they're also like the physical embodiment of the state and uh it's it's just so hard for someone like Alicent and like Otto to see any of these people as anything other than, you know, ways to get ahead and ways to move up and ways to secure your future. And uh, like we uh, we talk ad nauseum about like all the scenes that we've missed in like the 20 or so years that have taken place over the course of this first season. And if we had like another five episodes, I don't think we would have ever seen any like Alicent being a good mom scenes. I, I think those just would not have been included in the show if the if the writers and the directors had unlimited time to flesh out all of these gaps. She just doesn't seem interested in like actually being a, a parent. No, and you can see too, like there are so many scenes of Rhaenyra as people are hurling insults at her children about being bastards. She, you notice, like, she always embraces them. She always holds them. She's, you know, standing in between them and the people who are hurling these insults at them. And you never see Allison doing that with her children. You know, even when her son lost his eye, it was not about, you hurt my son. It was about, look at him. Now he only has one eye. And so you do see, like, she is a very cold mother, and for somebody who's going through all of this just to ensure that her son sits on the throne, it's strange to me because, yeah, I took that to be when she called him an imbecile for asking if she loved him. I took that to be like, why the fuck do you care? Like, why do you care if I love you? Mm -hmm. I made you king. Is that not enough for you? Like, you know. Yeah. So, for yeah. Her, it's a distinction without a difference. Like, mm -hmm. I would be doing the same thing whether I loved you or not and like she's also been conditioned in this world of like arranged marriages and political marriages where it doesn't matter it would be nice if love developed but it's not a prerequisite to anything happening at all it was her smirk at the end when she said Im you imbecile that made me question the intent behind it but i think mm -hmm. that was purposeful yeah even towards helena like i don't get any sense of that alicent is like personally invested in, in these children and like she's a great well, i don't now. so maybe she wouldn't she's have married she wouldn't have married helena to aegon if she actually gave a shit about helena yeah. because at this point aegon by the time she marries helena to aegon he's raped how many like chambermaids that she's used to having this conversation with you know at that point and so if she yeah. gave a shit about her kid she wouldn't marry her to a known abuser yeah but she does so she doesn't care about any of these children. Per Helena, at least, uh, he mostly ignores her, except when, like, on occasion when he's drunk. So, you know, she's skating by so far. <laughs> uh, 
I think she's perfectly happy with that arrangement, to be honest. She's fine to sit there and cross-stitch her weird spiders and see into the future. And <laughs> yeah, she's uh, great. She's she I love her so much. She's so good. <laughs> uh into the meat of episode nine. Uh, we mentioned the small counselors and all of Otto's work with them. Uh, they don't even take a moment to like memorialize Viserys. Otto says a few words, uh, calls him Viserys the Peaceful, I think, here. But then they have prepped for this moment. They know exactly what to do next. And Alicent, this has all been happening without, and I believe her when she says that she didn't know any of this was happening. Uh, the only person in the room who resists is Beesberry, but he is a little too affronted by this. He had like good points to make until he is basically accuses Alicent of uh, killing the king herself, and then Kristen smashes his head into the into the table, and he is dead. Uh, Westerling, the Lord Commander, who has had very little to do, but I sure hope has more to do, a very Barristan Selmy role from. Uh, the first season of Game of Thrones, where he resigns in protest and keeps his dignity and will eventually turn up probably at a key moment later on in the series. Um, Alicent, being out of the loop... Wait, is... Kissel, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Is that not who they hung in the courtyard? No. The guy they hung in the... The guy they hung in the courtyard was... Uh, he was in the courtroom when Otto was extracting loyalty from all the assembled lords... And oh. he bends the knee, but he doesn't intend to, I think, keep up his, or he's going to back, he's, I mean, he's already backtracked on one oath by bending the knee in this scenario, so what's another? And he's trying to, like, sneak out of the castle and is busted. Okay. And then it's hanged as an example for Rainus, as far as the show is concerned. Like, if they catch you. Sorry, like, this what? episode was so fucking dark, I could not tell their faces <sighs> from their assholes. Okay. So... I really thought that that wow. was the Kingsguard guy. No, he's he's out there. They let All him right. leave. Oh, I like that. I like that better. Okay. Yeah, that would have that would have sucked. Uh, yeah, this that episode been, that deserves like a, I do like a that guy. slow rewatch. A, a lot, a, a, a lot does happen, and like a lot yeah. of characters are acting who I don't, who I'm sure have names in the credits. They're the Lord of, but have has it been said out loud? No. I don't even think they have like sigils on them for like the close watcher. Uh, I, again, I like the kind of like building the world out, but it is a lot to keep track of. Like, is this person going to be important on the road? Uh, and in this case, no. Uh, in the small council meeting, Alicent is being out of the loop is only a spectator. She doesn't have her here, but she does have uh, enough credibility to ask what the further plans are. And she makes everyone say that Rhaenyra is going to have to be killed and probably your family too. Uh, and this sets off uh, like a race in the show. Uh, we mentioned like the urgency in it. Aegon is missing and people have to find him. And on one side, Otto has uh, these two twins who are named Eric and Eric. Awful, awful. <laughs> Why would you do this? <laughs> you know that their nicknames are the Turncoat Twins though. Sure, yeah. I watched the trailer. Yeah, one's going to be on one side and the other on, on the other. I love Does that. Doesn't matter That's which a... is which. I don't no. think so. But it's a snazzy <laughs> nickname. Yes. Uh, at the same time that Otto is looking for Aegon, so is Alicent, and she sends Kristen and Aemond, uh, who are useless, who are bad at this. Uh, 
because Aegon is a king dirtbag, a supreme dirtbag, and they don't even think to look in the places he would be. Whereas the twins have a better sense of him, and they go into Flea Bottom, into the child-fighting pits, where uh, Aegon has left a bunch of bastards, judging by their silver hair, and and they're able to eventually figure out where he is. Uh, reemergence of Masaria here. She's the one who has been hiding him. I think I I saw some like Twitter chatter about how her accent was bad. I am not an accent critiquer necessarily. I thought her accent was fine. I thought the scene was great. I thought she was very convicted in what she was trying to do, which is I will give you Aegon. Remember that I could have killed him and didn't. And what I need from you is like some steps towards improvement and child welfare here. Like, can we actually do something as supreme ruler? of this continent and like improve people's lives. We'll see if anything happens with that. If she's even alive, which I think, yes, but it was nice to see her pop up again and like, and, and, and be this kind of uh riser in this world, like nothing into something. That's very much a thread. The show needs as it's about, you know, princes and Kings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this whole like find Aegon stuff, really strong TV writing. It's 20, 25 minutes of the episode. What are the stakes? What do we need to do? What, what are the sides? Let's go do it. Just that kind of like procedural type stuff uh, that all that, that, that takes place in a coherent space and relies on who the characters are looking for them. It's just good writing. Big fan. I'm a big fan of this, of this whole sequence. Yeah, it could have been really goofy. Like it could have been, if it hadn't been written so well, it would feel like almost like kind of three stooges like as these sure. these guys like tromp around, you know, the dirty part of town looking for this guy and like, whoop, he's not here. Whoop, he's not there. Um, but it wasn't. And it was really, really well written. Uh, could have done without teeth sharpened children uh, like ripping into each other with cat talons. But, you know, Filmed there's tastefully, I suppose. No, there's like, good there's good children beating each other up, and there's bad children beating each other up, and we've yeah. seen both in this show. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah eyeballs, that's a fair distinction. Eyeball out, great. That was a great children fighting each other scene. This kind of gladiator um, match, not not so much. Not my favorite, yeah. but yeah, just ugly. you have to think. Yeah, and something's going to come of that. They wouldn't have put Targaryen children in there if it wasn't. So I'm with you, Kissel. I'm excited to see where that goes because it does. Again, it zooms us back out. They're doing a really good job of zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out of like how mm -hmm. what the consequences of all these actions are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like as the sides start to take shape, it's going to matter and not matter who the average person cares about. Like, there's a line in Game of Thrones about how, like, the average citizen couldn't be bothered. Like, it's fun for them in an abstract way to watch the nobles, like, tear each other's throats out. But as far as, like, who's in charge, it just doesn't make any difference. Like, the the bones of the society and, like, the pyramid of, of hierarchy is so ironclad that it just doesn't make any difference who's at the very top. The person who is directly above or the person at the bottom has so many layers between them and the top that it just doesn't make any difference. So 
that'll be interesting if there's like plays towards the people as um both sides start to form and like this is like a feint in that direction what did you guys think about the scene with Amond and the and the madam where he's talking about like this kind of gross experience that he had with Aegon where he was taken here uh when he was 13 and i'm not, i'm not sure how to read it how to read that scene like was he speaking nostalgically was it like this is another way my brother has fucked with me what did you guys think of that yeah that first part the first part but what you just said there this is the way he messed with me this was this is all resentment that i don't like this guy mm-hmm. that we're forced to find i don't I'm not, I'm not happy about this and coming here i also you know Megan made a point about how it could be like the three stooges in this whole thing. I kind of felt like it i I didn't like this part in the in really? episode nine. I hate i th- this was so so dumb. It could have been like like taken out and matted something better. <laughs> you mean like they're running through the city like trying to find him? No, I that that was yeah, 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 that's that's what I'm talking about. And I that, didn't love it either. I, I didn't, it went on I didn't too like long. it. Yeah, it was it was twenty five minutes. What was it? Twenty five minutes? It was twenty five minutes. It was a good chunk, good chunk of the episode, certainly. Yeah, it was it was too long. It was you know. Well, we can't find him. He's outsmarting us. He's you know. Mm. Just get to the point. You know, I I didn't I, I I didn't need that. Maybe somebody did. It wasn't me. But but to answer your question, John, I I think it was out of out of resentment. Okay, I thought there was a little something there where he was like. Oh, I'm remembered by this madam. I made an impression as a 13-year-old mm. boy in a brothel. No, I think it's I think it's Big Dick Amen. I think that's what it is. <laughs> oh <my> yeah. <laughs> no, I yeah. do. He's got this big dragon. He's got, you know, I mean, he was brave enough as a little kid to try to claim this giant dragon out from underneath his cousins. And uh yeah, I that's how I interpreted it. Was that, you know, he must have had something memorable about him and he likes that she remembered him. Yeah. Um, that actor is, ju- again, just so inscrutable mm-hmm. that there's so many different ways to take whatever he is doing in any given scene. He is uh, in love with his sister, though. I think that that's not up for debate. Has that been in, in the show with- at all? Um. Well, there is a little bit once Aegon is betrothed to her where he is saying, like, if I had to marry Helena, I would do my duty like happily. Oh, that's he thick. says okay. something yeah. along those lines. So I <laughs> think like he's a weird in love thing with to her. say. <laughs> Terrible. <Yeah. laughs> as like a as like a positive for Eamon. <laughs> like only in the yeah. show is that like an acceptable thing to say. We're like, yeah. oh look, he's so sweet. He would love her better. <laughs> well, and I also took Jesus. it as like he was in her chambers too when Allison went in. And was oh, looking like for Aegon. He was like in her chambers. So I don't know. Hmm. Maybe I'm just reading. You know, maybe I've gotten a little incest crazy. But yeah. he's the only at, single looking guy looking for incest in all the wrong places. In all the wrong places. <laughs> he's the last single uh, guy in that age group, so he'll have to be paired up with somebody at some point. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that would be. They might be saving that for season two as they like try it as they start to like spread out into the realm and try and like solidify alliances um which is what i assume will be a big chunk of that season alice or Kristen and Amond are are able to secure Aegon back to the castle which gives alicent the upper hand on otto in her terms 
are, you know, not so different than his. Uh, Kristen is now the Lord Commander. Huzzah. Uh, Aegon will be immediately anointed in front of the largest crowd possible. And Rhaenyra will not be killed, or at least not yet. Uh, she'll be sent terms to to be dictated to, like this new scenario. And she'll have the opportunity to react or submit or whatever she wants to do. Um, we got to talk about Laris. He has been, in the first part of this episode, like making inroads with Otto, watching him work from the balcony. And at one point he explicitly says, hey, I could be useful to you. At the same time, he's carrying on a uh, foot fetish relationship with Alicent. Uh, Another thing that happened in the six-year time gap was that uh, at some point he was able to say to a person who had the power of life and death over him, hey, I would really like it if you took your shoes off and then just progress from there. And he gets increasingly... uh, Increasingly uh, upfront <laughs> with what he's doing here. Uh, the purpose of this meeting, which again, much like the moon tea to the maid, is uh, just just the one of these meetings that we're witness to. There are many others that have happened over the over the previous several years. Uh, there's a spy network in the castle amongst the amongst the staff. He can take control of it if the leader i.e. Masseria is killed, and we see later a fire at her HQ. Uh, I'm sure she's still around, obviously. Uh, And, I mean, a big blunder on the Hightower's part, where they could have had two spymasters, like one working for Otto and one working for Alicent, and now potentially Masseria is going to be pushed in someone else's direction. Which is, which, like, is it just, I want there to be, like, equal sides. I don't want to always feel like one, the greens or the blacks are on the back foot. Uh, I would like it to be totally equal for a good chunk of this show. And I feel like if, like, one of these master spies is with the blacks, which, who they currently don't have, so much the better. So that's what I feel like this is all about, pushing this area in their direction. As far as the foot fetish stuff, I mean... Uh, something we skipped over was uh, Rainus. What's she doing during all of this? Uh, the Greens lock her in her room while they deliberate. Not They don't allow her to leave. She is obviously furious until Allison comes and asks for her support. And they have a really interesting scene about um, what Allison wants, which is like a continuation of the status quo with her theoretically being the power behind the throne until Aegon has had enough of his mom whispering in his ear and says, get the fuck out of here as he is now totally allowed to do. Like she's given all the power to a guy that she thinks she's going to control uh, versus taking this opportunity to make major change in Westeros by either putting Rhaenyra on the throne or herself. And uh, this scene uh, is like ringing in Allison's ears when she talks with her dad later, I, where it's just like not clear that she's ever asked what she wants in all of this. Why is she doing any of this? She is under her father's thumb. She was under Viserys's thumb while he was like a coherent individual. And now she has to listen to Laris jerk off to her feet. 
So who's really the powerful one in any of these situations? And like, this would be an interesting path for Allison to take where she is like actually seizing power for herself instead of like acting through the men in her life. She's not a, a um, sympathetic character really because she's working in the furtherance of her terrible son and her manipulative father. But that would at least allow her to be more anti-heroic, like accumulating power for herself as opposed to other people. So I like the the foot fetish stuff is like the show being weird, <laughs> a little on the nose, like, oh my gosh, who would have thought the guy with a fucked up foot is into super nice lady feet? But I do think it rhymes with her arc and is good for her character. Which is a long way to say that I'm pro Laris and his foot stuff. <laughs> I mean, there Gross. has to be a quid, a quid pro quo there. And I guess now we're seeing what that is um, for him. I wonder like if that's the case. It might just be him holding her hostage. Like, I've done all this stuff for you. Yeah. I can blame you for it. This is what it costs. Right. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. It feels very, I don't know, something I have to say. And maybe this is just my opinion, but something about someone jacking off in front of you feels like so much more violating than him, like, than him, like manipulating her into having sex with him. That just like. It's just it's gross. Just, it's gross. Yeah. All the way down. Like, <laughs> so what's the, the end of this scene is him standing up with a fucking oyster in his nice, in his nice, fancy clothes. And, uh, excuse me, I've made a tremendous, I've made a huge mess. I need to take care of this. It's just disgusting. In like a, in like a, you know, you don't. Know. I want to hear more euphemisms from John, please. Shaming or whatever it's called, <laughs> yucking someone's yum. Like I'm sorry, ah! it's gross. It's fucking gross. It's gross. Well, and at first, the thing I, I I've been off. So I didn't watch the episode until this afternoon, and so because of that, I've been off the internet today because I didn't want anything to ruin it for me. And mm. so at first. They caught they caught me off guard. I was like, oh, she's comfortable around him. So she feels exactly. comfortable to like take her shoes off and put them up on this table. And then within 45 seconds, he's fucking jerking it. I, it was you didn't very have like, a alarming. Moment. You were like, she's comfortable, but like something weird's about to happen. That's what I was like, I don't know where they're going with this. Yeah. When the socks came off, I was like, huh? But when she just had her, like, stocking feet up on the table, I literally was like, oh, they're just showing, like, how close this relationship is and how much she trusts him to, like, be a little bit less demure. But then the socks came off, and then we got a close zoom on the feet. (laughs) Very close zoom. I took notice of how slowly he was talking. And I thought thought to myself, Uh, boy, he is really dragging this out. And I mean, what he was doing was like, you know what this is without me saying it. You want me to talk faster? Get those toesies up on the table. <laughs> I, like this rhymes with Aegon, where like, I'm doing all of this for these people. Like as yeah. in this moment, like for Laris, he killed his father and his brother so he could yeah. so we could get to this moment. This has been mm-hmm. a long con for Laris 
so he could see the most powerful woman in the realm's feet and take <laughs> off the front Like it's it's A to B. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean she, it is yeah. dehuman. He's it's, dehumanizing her, yeah. and that's got to yeah. be part it's of totally the appeal to him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Allison is completely understanding of all this. Like she's behind the scenes, she's doing this, and on like the grandest stage, she's putting her imbecile son on the throne and like this character at a certain at a very at a very soon point just has to have like a total it's pretty i don't know i have no idea how old she's supposed to be late 30s probably and uh yeah she's right on schedule for a midlife for a medieval midlife crisis where she just totally reevaluates uh the fact that she's you know, spent her life supporting all of these mediocre to nefarious to 100% incompetent men. And, like, that, for me, is a more interesting way into, like, the inherent feminism of the show, where it's, like, a woman, uh, ostensibly, Rhaenyra, trying to seize power for herself and everybody preventing her from doing that, all the men in the realm preventing her from doing that. That's, like, an easy story. Whereas Alicent is a more difficult, grayer, more complicated story, and therefore more interesting. So again, a long way to go through this like foot fetish stuff. <laughs> but I, I still have I, I I very much trust this show to do something to do something more with this than just like pure or grossness or HBO mm-hmm. CEO of tits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the HBO final CEO scene, of Feet. Yeah, he got demoted. <laughs> a niche audience instead of a wide audience. He got demoted. Uh, our final scene, final sequence, uh, kicks off with Rainus being freed by the turncoat twin, whichever one he is. Uh, this is happening at the same time. All of the small folk are being herded into the sept to witness uh, Aegon's uh, anointing and, and ascension. Uh, but they're separated through all in all the crushed people. And uh, she is in the sept for the ceremony, but she's able to sneak away. We'll come back to that. Uh, place is packed. Place looks great. Uh, I still get a little uh, just like jolt of appreciation in these like uh, big crowd scenes. Obviously, you know, this isn't a real play. Well, I don't know how big the actual set is, but and there's. Surely, like, CGI'd people like to fill up the crowds. But just seeing a bunch of people, like, shoulder to shoulder is nice. After, you know, any movie that's been filmed in the last two years, like, you can really tell that they pared the cast down as small as possible, and each scene is as few people present as possible. So it's good that House of the Dragon, you know, embracing a post-pandemic world. And that's what I was thinking during this, during a part of this scene. Uh, Otto, you know, whole life leading to this, announces Viserys' death and Aegon will be the next king. Uh, Aegon, uh, great work on this actor's part, I think, like selling the physical discomfort that he's having with all this. He's unsteady and he's shaking while he's being anointed and crowned by Kristen, of all people, which seems surprising to me, whatever. Uh, His family, (laughs) they all see what's happening here. This is something that has to happen for the only only because you came first nobody's into it everyone is like giving him these pathetic nods and bows but the crowd loves it and he like and he's like plays it like a rock star which 
again, I think is exactly right for this character. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he goes from from asking his mother whether or not she actually loves him and whether or not his father actually loved him to getting this adoration from, you know, thousands of people. And mm-hmm. he's eating it up with this spoon. It, it makes so much sense. Yeah, like power had been abstract for him until the point when he can like raise a sword and get, you know, a couple thousand people to like cheer in unison. So uh, a, a great foreboding for the future. I'm sure nothing, I'm sure this isn't a harbinger of terrible things that are going to happen as Aegon gets drunk with power. Uh, last thing that happened is Rhaenys and her dragon Malus burst through the floor, panic in the room, lots of people dead. And uh, the dragon stares down the people at the dais. All the greens are in front of her, but uh, the dragon just roars. Alicent has like a look of acceptance on her face, like this is this is the end. But Rhaenys flies off. Uh, this seems to be like the sticking point for um, like preliminary reviews that I've read. Where like, why did you do that? The series is effectively over right now. I don't, do we have a good answer for that? Like, why didn't she just roast everybody? That's that's what I wanted her to do. That would have ended everything. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, that would have been fine. But I'm I'm say, with you. Like, why not? Didn't they say on the like after show or whatever that she had a moment like as a mom to another mom that she just yeah. didn't want to roast her family? I don't know. That felt lame. That, I think yeah, it's that's more superficial. Yeah, especially for that character. I think it's more that she's just like, I don't like any of you fucking people. Like, this should have been my throne all along. But then why not not kill them? That she is, because she just doesn't care, I don't think. It's not that she's like Rhaenyra's biggest fan, but they locked her in her room and tried to keep her away from her dragon. So she's Mm -hmm. not their biggest fan. I think she's just like, Fuck. I just, I think she sees that there's going to be a war. She understands that there's going to be a war coming. And she's just doing her duty to her bloodline by telling Rhaenyra, but I don't, she obviously doesn't like Rhaenyra. She thinks Rhaenyra killed her son. So I think she's like, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place where I think all of these people suck. So I'm just going to do what I have to do, what I'm obligated to do, and maybe try to stay out of the fray. But that's, I mean, that's just how I. I think that would be more credible if she didn't, like, jump four square behind Rhaenyra in the previous episode. Like, without mm-hmm. that, where she is still somewhat of a wild card, okay. But she has now tied her family to Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. She's tied her grandchildren to Rhaenyra. Like, her only surviving family, immediate family. And um, that that really complicates like the kind of hand waving that you kind of feel like this moment needs. You kind of, I kind of, you kind of need, you understand the show cannot end at this moment, even though it sure seems like everything is prepped and ready to go for that exact thing to happen. Uh, so like the, the commerce is intruding on like the art of the show and the writing of the show. I think, I think, this scene rhymes with the Missaria scene where she's like, understand that I could have killed Aegon and I didn't. And I expect consideration in the future. So like, this is some kind of 
um, like opening piece move potentially. Uh, I think that's kind of the only way. Like if she tries to be, if she tries to play peacemaker between both sides, I kind of think that's the only way it can go for it to not be just like spectacle for spectacle's sake. Which mm-hmm. was like the that was where Game of Thrones really started to fall apart was when like they just decided we needed like big spectacle stuff that doesn't necessarily make any sense or mean anything really. But uh, like the 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 example that comes to mind is like the the dragon the first dragon battle in like the seventh where like Daenerys roasts a bunch of Lannisters and Jaime barely escapes. Like nothing actually happened in that scene. <laughs> Other than we saw the, what a dragon in battle would look like and what like the Dothraki in battle would look like, but every named character lived. It didn't have any impact to like the future war effort or anything. It didn't split anybody apart. Uh, it didn't matter. And like this kind of seems like like this is the ninth episode of the season. It needs to end on an exclamation point. Here's the exclamation point. I, I again, I like trust the writers at this point. Maybe they'll make something of this. But I think it's just as likely as as not that nothing will actually come of this. So like Well, I, they have to I, even I like up the dragons, point. right? Do they what? have to even up the num- they have to even up the number of dragons on each side. Sure, but like does it have to burst th- does the dragon have to be stored beneath the sept? Like can it can can the episode end with like Rainus with like Otto seeing Rainus fly off in the background? Or something like that. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. does there have to be this standoff where not even not standoff? She is in complete control. There is nothing to be done. And she just chooses to do nothing. Which again, like I want the series to continue. I enjoy watching this show. The show cannot end at this point. But uh that's just gonna hang over her character forever. Like if her grandchildren die. Or her great grandchildren, if that, that happens, uh, she could have prevented that from happening. Like it's going to infect everything she does in the future. But it's certainly a cliffhanger, and I'm and I'm anxious to see what happens in the finale. Me too. Yeah. Maybe they're just totally flipping the script, and and all the big stuff is going to happen in the finale instead of episode nine. Which, I was about to yeah. say we. Brendan and I were talking about before, like, do you think episode nine is going to be like the penultimate one? And I don't think that they did that this go around, which I liked that they didn't follow the formula of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. They know what people expect and are are perhaps playing it uh, in a different way. But good for them. Well, if that is what's happening. Yeah. And I was like, after episode eight, I was wondering what, what the hell are they going to do in episode? If this is what they're doing in episode eight, what the hell are they going to do in episode nine? Um, so yeah, I find kind of found myself this entire episode waiting for like, okay, what's mm-hmm. the big moment? Like, you know, I kind of thought Rhaenyra might fly in on her dragon and that was, you know, and break up all of this and that was going to be the big moment, but it just never really came. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see what happens next week. If we get any big moments or maybe eight was the, pen- you know, like, in any season of Game of Thrones, episode eight could have sufficed as an episode nine, if that makes sense. Yeah. That, yeah so maybe that, they're that occasion. Maybe they're pushing it back an episode. Who knows? Just all the time stuff, as we as we've been saying all season. 
is kind of the fatal flaw of the show. That's all going to even out. It's going to be harder to hand wave away stuff going forward as like the space between episodes shrinks. And I got to think there will be no more actor replacements. I think I got to think we're locked in. They're not going to improve on like 40 year old Amond. They're <laughs> they got the best possible Amond. <laughs> we, we're just not going to be able to say, oh, this character came with this realization in the six years between ep- these two episodes. So uh, the, I think the writing will get, have to have, will have to include a lot of these conversations that we've just kind of been been tossing aside into the, into like the, the black hole of space between episodes. And and yeah, this needs to pay off pretty quickly. Like Rhaenyra needs to have a conversation with Rhaenys. Hey, why didn't you just roast everybody? That needs to happen like very early in episode 10. Uh, which we'll be back here next week to discuss uh, the end of season one of House of the Dragon. Uh, what exceeded my wildest expectations. And they're not going to like suddenly step on their dick at, at the end, I'm sure. Like the show has uh, has has been is taking leaps with every episode and uh it's it's been great breaking down these episodes over uh, extremely long periods of time <laughs> with my podcast mates here and uh thank you for joining me tonight guys yeah, so, quick thank reminder you. yes this means you have one week to watch a night's tale oh fuck do I have I? not forgotten. You said that I you forgot. would finish. Totally you forgot. said that you would watch it by the end of the season, and I'm here liar. to hold you accountable. I am. A, I am a liar. <laughs> <laughs> he's also been telling me he's going to finish for all mankind for like months. So uh, yeah, I can't feel responsible. Uh, I need to end this podcast before I am. <laughs> Just mix it in with Magic Mike, and you're all set. I mean, yeah, you can only watch Magic Mike so many times. Uh, yeah. Well, it turns out you can't. It turns out you can watch it. <laughs> And push off <laughs> other stuff that you might want to watch. Magic Mike, great movie. We usually discuss movies at the Media Movie Club, but you know, in, 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 when big TV series happens, we got to take homage. Homage must be paid. Uh, thank you for joining me tonight, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good night. <laughs>